I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. Well, good people, welcome back this week. Always excited to be here. You know, my favorite thing is to have our First Gen fam with us to talk and tell us just the amazing things they're doing and to drop some gems on us. And today, I'm very, very enthused to have you know, a new good friend who I've met through a really good friend, Dr. Argelis Ortiz is with us and definitely is someone who's an entrepreneur. He's doing a lot of work just, you know, around the social workspace. He's just brilliant. That's what I'm definitely going to say. But I'm going to be quiet, you know, like I always say, because nobody can tell your story like you. So Dr. Ortiz, hello and welcome. Well, thank you, Dr. Hawkinson, for, for having me. I appreciate you bringing me on board. You're so, so very welcome. You have been just quite a joy to know since we've connected. Always so supportive. And, you know, it's a lot that you can tell about a person just in how they show up. So I just want to thank you for how you've continued to show up and the time we've known each other. But if you will, please tell us who you are and about all the amazing things you've done over the years in organizational development and management and so forth. Oh, thank you. You know, that this who you are question is always interesting, depend on the day, depend on what I just finished doing, right? But but in a, in a gist, right, I, I'm a first-generation born Guatemex American. I, my mother immigrated from Guatemala in the early 70s, and my dad in kind of early 70s as well, but from Mexico. So they came out here and they kind of raised their family in Boyle Heights, and that's where I grew up and here in uh, L.A. County. It defines who I am uh, to the core. Basically, you know, I, I didn't know any better that I was part of an immigrant family. I didn't know any better that, that I was first gen. I just knew I was a kid of these two folks who had a temper, who you know, cooked really well, who said things differently at some points, and, 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 and I knew Spanish. And the interesting part there was that a lot of us around the, the early 80s were on the same boat, you know? Mm-hmm. There was just a lot of first gen people and, and in my community in Boyle Heights. So it was just, you know, it is what it was, right? Like like your dad spoke Spanish and your mom did this and uh, uh, kind of uh, stereotypical, you know, dad goes to work, mom stays home, has a has a, a part-time job here and there. So so again, I, I was living life as I was with everybody else in the community. I don't I don't think they had like a meeting of the minds or anything, but I, I do know for a fact that both my parents really emphasize education. As, as kind of a way to either break that kind of first gen chains or, or education to be a catalyst to make you sort of a better person and a better professional, et cetera. They knew that, that the reason they had immigrated was so we, the next gen, didn't follow their steps and didn't have to work at places where it was really hard laborious, et cetera. They wanted us kids, and, and I have a sister, so they wanted us kids to kind of use our brains and use our potential to, to make everything a better place. And, Again, when you're a kid, you're hearing that stuff. You're like, yeah, yeah, Dan, I just want to go back and play basketball. I just want to go and, and hang out with friends. Like, right? Like, you're not, you're not thinking that sort of higher level, but, but they always did. Hmm. And I want to say that that kind of in that neighborhood and, and neighborhoods like it, right, around the U.S. or, or 
that have really high first-gen, first-generation immigration immigrant families, there is like a support system, but it's kind of understood. It's like maybe the grandma comes over, maybe there's a neighbor who's keeping an eye on you. There's just, there's just like a lot of informal supports. Hmm. And that's, that's probably what happened in my upbringing. In the 80s in, in LA, there was just really heavy gang involvement and, and, and a lot of that. What ended up happening is that my, my parents saw that, you know, that unfortunately there was two paths, right? You got in or you, you lived that life or you kind of made a way doing something else, uh, sports, mm-hmm. education, whatever. So they really emphasized education and they put us, myself and my sister, in private school, kind of middle school and on. I don't know if you remember your middle school years, but you... But you basically hated everything your parents did right like if they said here's a pizza like no that's not the pizza i want or here's it could have been anything but but yeah there was a lot of that sort of struggle because i was being in my head i was being uprooted from what i knew right i I knew my friends i knew kind of the school system i was doing decent in school i wasn't the best but i was doing okay and the whole private school was just a whole different level not that it was more rigorous or or obviously there was a Catholic component to it, but it was just the focus was slightly different. The people were different. The the parents were a little different. My pushback was always, guys, these these are the same kids from the neighborhood. They're just wearing uniform, right? Like kids are still getting pregnant. People are still using drugs. Like you're not necessarily saving me for everything, but but they push forward, right? Even with my whining, even with my rebellious sort of nature, and 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 I push forward too because I, I enjoyed the education piece. I just enjoyed learning. So as I went through my kind of K through 12 career, I just really enjoyed knowing that that I could fend for myself and and distinctly remember a third grade assignment. We were back in the day, if you were kind of a native speaker in Spanish, they just put you in ESL. It didn't matter if you tested or didn't test. You just kind of were. What? So, so, you know, and again, I didn't know any better. I just knew my teacher spoke Spanish. Everybody else in the class spoke Spanish. I did. and, And, you know, rock and roll. And third grade i distinctly remember starting the grade saying the teachers i forgot her name but the teacher saying hey no more spanish english from now on mm. and, and i was like darn when was i supposed to learn that right like now i'm like in the groove and, and when am i supposed to learn that and when was i supposed to be helped coach etc and of course it was hard not that i was born elsewhere but i it felt like i was right i felt like i was displaced and felt like i was uprooted but just like majority of kids, right? When you face with adversity, you, you rise up and you just don't know any better. You just make it happen. Now, I remember that that talk at third grade. And I also remember coming home and asking for support, right? Like, hey, can you help me do this paper or this math test or something or there? And I just remember the, the, the distinct look at my parents. And like, I mean, they, they kind of gave me that. Sorry, but like, it's on you. You know, like, like I, I don't even know how to do this portion. They each had minimal education up at that point in their own country so the fact that they got me to do second grade was awesome but I, they, they knew that they were tapped out you know mm-hmm. uh, educationally so i didn't have older siblings i, I, I had a, a couple of cousins they're older but everybody's doing their own thing and i think that moment when i realized oh shoot my parents are max you know like I'm, this is really me right or it's it's up to me to make something happen i i, I distinctly remember that that third grade internal dialogue of like all right you're either going to be like you know everybody else or you're going to be yourself and you're gonna i was gonna say a little snoopy because he was a guy i used to hang out with but you know like like i i made a conscious decision as a third grader to focus on school right and and how many third graders say that and how many 
people have that insight. And I, I don't know because I, I don't know many other ones that do, but I did it. You know, like I, I really focused on that. I, I made sure that I knew the, the, the strategy, right? Like if mm -hmm. I did my homework, if I got decent grades, my parents were off my back, you know, because they couldn't say anything, right? Right. So them being off my back allowed me to do everything else I wanted to do, kind of hang out with friends, you know, eat around, whatever it was. So I was always surrounded in both kind of lives. And I, I never did anything on the quote-unquote neighborhood side that was like dangerous or really besides the, the knucklehead stuff you do when you're growing up. But a lot of friends did, right? And a lot of folks that that, that I grew up with, I'm hoping they're good. And, and I Honestly, I've just kind of lost touch with a majority of folks. And I'm sure there's a lot of success stories there. And I want to believe that mine was not the only a right path. It was just the path that I happened to take or, or I was mm. into because of my family, right? Absolutely. And that was it. I think now we're, we're kind of fast forward to, to late 90s. And unfortunately, with first-gen families, and I'm being kind of general this year, but unfortunately, there comes a time where um, your traditions, customs, etc., are not matching the current status right like so so they still my parents still had a lot of uh, you know machismo type thing that my dad would hold on to there was a lot of like issues around money and finances and in my household was a, was a tough place to be at as a kiddo seeing that there's a bigger world out there etc so i knew that my college right was the way out but i had to go somewhere where it was uh it was far enough where my parents could have just drop by, but close enough where I could come over or, or have a have a restart in case I needed to. Hmm. Because I would be the first in, in college and I'd be the first kind of pioneer in that, right? I, I only applied for college. I only applied for, for stuff outside of LA. I, I didn't apply for anything here on purpose. Because I wanted to challenge myself, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just talk to talk and I was doing it here locally, but I could do it elsewhere. And I got accepted to San Jose State. It's a, it's a state university, a CSU university in uh, kind of the Bay Area and uh, Silicon Valley. And that was life altering, but also fish out of water, right? Like it was the first time I had to literally buy like a coat. Like I didn't need to have a coat here in SoCal. Like I didn't, you know, when it got to 72 or 70, it was the first time that I realized that I had an accent, hmm. right? For many years, like I just talked and that's it. But then when I went up north and uh, where's that accent from? Where are you from? And it was more of that, where were you born question as opposed to where do you live? Where I, I knew how to answer where do I live, right? LA, Fort Heights. But they were actually asking like, where, where's your history from, et cetera. And mm -hmm. that was always tough because living in a bicultural family household, Guatemalan and Mexican, it's hard to say where you, where you grew up because mm -hmm. you know both cultures, the Spanish kind of links everything, but it's not the same Spanish and customs are different, food's different, mm -hmm. you know. I knew how to code switch at an early age in Spanish and then, as I mentioned, English came in there, so you had to then code switch again, you know. So it was, it was a lot of like internal sort of motivation type stuff that occurred early on and I just carried it and, and I still carry it now. As I see that that around me, I'm still kind of pioneering a bunch of things, and I just push forward with the support of my wife, with the support of my mom. It's, it's just I, I push forward because it's it's the role model that I want to be for my kids, but also peers like us, right? Peers that are first gen, peers like I don't necessarily have to be the best X in high school, but I could be the next Y after college or at this particular field or something, right? Like like I chose and push towards higher education, but other folks are just amazing with aviation or mechanics or, you know, it, it, it doesn't matter. It just, it just matters that you know you're more than you were probably told growing up. 
you know? Absolutely. So just curious, you mentioned, you know, education being something significant to you. And something that I noticed when I was learning about you is that you took a few years in between each degree. What was the reason for that? You know, did you think that you'd ever even be a doctor and that you would go that far? Or like, what was that story? No, you know, the the honest truth is I was pushed as far as graduate high school and attend college, right? That was the, the bar. And once those were checked off, there was nobody else to kind of say, this is what you should be doing next. This is the next step. This is what should be your career, your next sort of path within higher education. I just knew that parents had pushed me to graduate high school and attend college. I've always been the, 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 maybe it was my upbringing, but I've always been the exerciser of you have to apply what you know or else it's just mm-hmm. kind of in a vacuum, right? Like yeah. you might be the brightest person in the world, but if you're not applying that or if you're not practicing it, then thanks. Thanks for showing up. So so I purposely wanted to or get all the gems I was able to learn at each phase and apply them. So as soon as I finished the, the BA, I wanted to make sure that I was able to apply it. I, I, I got my BA in creative arts to be a teacher. And, and that was like what I've always wanted to be. And, and I knew that was like a trajectory. But little did I know that when I graduated with my, my now wife, you know, we came back to LA and the scene was different, right? There was a sort of recession in 2003. There was a lot of layouts happening in the district, uh, LUSD. And, and I pivoted to be in nonprofit. And, and, I, and I really enjoyed that because it was still teaching. It was just in a different format. It wasn't a students in front, a teacher on top, you know, it was, it was really in the community with families of doing that gang prevention stuff, which I really enjoyed and being literally out there with, with the, the youth and and the community was exciting. So I was, I was purposely doing kind of these, these five year stunts in between my next degree because I wanted to apply it. And I wanted to know if, if, if the next level was even needed, you know, in the sort of social work nonprofit sector, there is a lot of kind of cloud or respect for folks that have more letters after their name or more degrees or more certificates and, and, and I saw that as a kind of like a must in order to keep going in, in your own career but I also saw that there wasn't enough people of color that had those letters there wasn't enough people of color that have experienced kind of the first gen all the way up right so, so yeah. uh, I wanted to make sure I pushed forward in that. And, and that was it. it it was like getting to know that get the next degree apply in that get the next degree etc what was the most challenging part for you in navigating your, your graduate studies and just, again, pushing yourself and staying motivated? It was interesting because imposter syndrome is, is, is real. Right? Imposter syndrome is, is, do I really belong here? Uh, do I really have what it takes to keep pushing forward? Right? Hey, look at that person. That person has all these da-da-da-da. And I just, uh, I dealt with that quite a bit in, in, in sort of my MSW because I wanted to make sure that I, ha- I had the chops to hang in there. Once I realized I could, and, and hey, my, my opinion, my writing, my everything that I was nervous about was as strong as everybody else's, I, I kind of relaxed. I, but, it, but it took a little while. It took a, some comfort level for me to know that that I do analyze well, that I do read well, that I engage with people well. And, and, and all those things that were kind of making me nervous were actually an asset because hmm. folks were either super book smart but didn't have lived experience or vice versa a lot of lived experience but were just struggling with the book smarts and, and i was able to merge both so but it, but it took a little while it took a little while to, to feel comfortable in that skin got that that's really cool thank you for sharing that and so just thinking about you know the fact that education is you know where you were headed and you ended up being an entrepreneur 
<laughs> you know, what happened there and what was the motivation to pursue entrepreneurship? I talk often to people who are educators, being that I'm one myself, but who've transitioned to entrepreneurship and just find it to be yeah. quite a thrill. Again, just one of the best things that I've ever done. So how has it been for you? And again, what was the motivation for you to do so? Yeah, I, I bring it back to sort of growing up in Ball Heights and, and having my parents fend not just their, their day jobs or their, their side hustles, but but they really made an effort to show that, that you could make something out of nothing, even if it was temporary or even if it was uncommon, right? So my dad, for many, many years until his passing, he, he was an entrepreneur because he, he sold kind of vegetables and eggs and stuff out of his car and he had a truck for a while. So he was always like doing a side hustle in the mornings or people knew him in the neighborhood really well and, and it was always because he was the, the guy who sold the produce and you know mm-hmm. he wasn't necessarily like a fruitful ass or one of these big mogul folks but the way he engaged with people the way he was able to just dissect and analyze a kid doing something and just give him like an apple or something was was amazing and i saw that as a as a really great tool to do something for yourself but also know that um you can make something out of nothing. My mom had similar things. She's always like cooking. She's always like, like selling flowers and things like that. So there was always this, you know, you don't stop at your nine to five or your kind of part time. You, you have to try other things and use your assets to become better. Hmm. And that's kind of what I've been doing. So so lately, I realized that that my degrees took me so far, but my ideas were as strong, right? Like the fact that I could manage people, the fact that I could coach people, the fact that. You know, as as you get kind of further in your in your in your career, people start asking you, so how did you do this part? I'm having trouble here, right? They start asking you for some advice and they trust your judgment because they've seen the work. And I said, Well, hey, I, I'm I'm losing a great opportunity here about how to monetize that, right? Like like if you're asking me and I give you this, this great thing and you tell me there was a great support and now you're doing this. Man, I just missed uh, a few hundred bucks there, right? I just missed. How to, <laughs> I just missed right. how, to, how to monetize that, and and I was being honest with myself, and, and I, just like we all start with entrepreneurship, right? You fall a whole bunch, you try, you kind of overchew, and and kind of get overwhelmed sometimes. But but now I, I kind of got the rhythm. I, I I've been doing kind of consulting work for five or six years, and. And maybe moonlighting is the wrong word, but I've always been juggling a couple of things, right? So I've always had a version of a full-time. I've always had like a, a most recently, a, some sort of consulting project recurring simultaneously. And then five years ago, I began teaching in, in a higher ed class or two, depending on the semester. So there was always three hats kind of informing each other. And, and I really enjoyed that because mm. my, my quote-unquote big day job was always like in the field of social work or in the field of supporting nonprofits. And then my teaching was helping the next gen of social workers kind of be ready and prepared to go into the field. And then my consulting work was always focused on sort of small to mid-sized nonprofits that, that would just felt like a fish out of water. So mm-hmm. I was always able to relate to each of those three really well. And uh, I, I just enjoyed supporting each of those sort of sectors. It's really exciting. I mean, just to think about how it just aligns. It was a natural progression and a natural fit for what you're doing. And that's what I tell people that I'm talking to all the time, especially members who are in my communities, that you should do something that just falls in line. Like they'll go and reinvent the wheel. Right. Like there's already something there that's within you that you enjoy. And, you know, if I'm an arts person, but I decide to go and to build computers because it's going to make me money that doesn't make sense (laughs) you know but i want to design t-shirts or design clothes or do something with that art thing you can still find something that allows you to have that creativity unless you just want to go build computers for fun by all means just do it Mm -hmm. but you know we don't have to 
again, drive ourselves up the wall or just do things too far from what is natural to us to be successful. So thank you for sharing, again, just that journey with us. And then, you know, you also get me to think about what are some things you wish you knew when you started off in this entrepreneurial journey? Because while you saw your dad do it, mm-hmm. I know that you had to take, again, a different approach and forming, you know, your business corporation and just mm-hmm. all the, the legal things, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that you likely weren't taught. So what do you wish you knew? What would you have done differently even? To start earlier, to be honest, right? Because I've always had the ability to do the consulting. I've always been reached out and supported orgs or people. I just thought I was doing like a favor here and there. And I only say start early, not because I would have built this whole wealth, but also I would have sort of got a lot of the cobwebs out of the the way before I really focus on it now, like I'm doing with the org that, that we run. The other part too is that as a kid, I always knew my dad was doing some sort of small business entrepreneurial stuff. And I always mentioned, hey, it looks like that could be a permit or, looks, you know, but because of that sort of first gen, first immigration mentality, he was like, no, 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 that's just going to charge you so much. You're going to pay taxes. There was just a lot of misinformation that, that he might or might not know, right? Because he was a, a, a kind of local entrepreneur. For sure. But I did find somebody who's, who's my business partner now who, who he and I kind of began doing projects in, in isolation and we support each other. But we really said 2020 was a year we were going to make it happen, right? We were going to really form this organization where we could take contracts together. We we're going to divide the, the, the load, et cetera. And it, I think it just, it's it's timing, right? Like don't ignore people who are there to support you and be able to, to say, hey, I don't know all this other side of the work. Please help me out, right? Like it's your ego getting out of the way. And, and I was ready five years ago when I connected with him to say, hey, I've been doing this loosely, but but if you're able to kind of show me the ropes, I would love to connect with you. And, and, and he has. He's been a great kind of role model. He's been a great kind of a, a support in, in formalizing our organization. Hmm. So it's not necessarily, oh, I wish he or somebody like that was around earlier. It's more about, I wonder if I just missed other opportunities that I was just too egocentric to, to see, right? Or I just wasn't, wasn't ready to take up that quote unquote partnership as opposed to I thought I had to do it on myself I thought I had the right answer etc mm, and it's real and it's interesting because it's even in being first gen to go to college and then to start businesses while there are things that we've seen our families do coming to do them differently is always something because again my mom had a, a business growing up and I didn't think about it until later in <laughs> life. I was uh-huh. like, my mom was an entrepreneur. She had a business, yeah. she had a cleaning business. And I used to go with her on the weekends to help clean houses. And that was entrepreneurship. That was her way of making money. But I'm also sure that she didn't also have like the legal structures or she didn't have the team or the assistant. So mm-hmm. not that, you know, it needed to even be that because she took care of herself. She marketed, she promoted, like she had clients. And I was really proud of her. And I'm still proud of her this day when I look back on it. So mm-hmm. even the entrepreneur bug, you know, it was going to bite me eventually, but I just didn't imagine myself having a cleaning business. But looking back at it, like my mom is one of my my role models in that because I'm like, she did it and she did it without, you know, support of others. And she did it with three children. And I think she did it for several years. As a matter of fact, again, it's far long, you know, gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, thinking that just, I'm sure it was pretty at least maybe five years, if not longer. And so just thinking about that. It's funny how our parents become entrepreneurs and they do things as a means of survival for us. And then we come back and do it in a way that's the legacy for them. So mm-hmm. it's really cool. Just really cool in thoughts. So a lot of things you've done, a lot of things that you do. And, you know, what I'd be curious to know more about in this moment is 
how do you continue to develop yourself or to invest in yourself, you know, personally and professionally? I think it goes back to that. I, I know what I don't know, right? I, no, I don't know what I don't know everything, but I do know that, that I need to increase my sort of my business sense of, of how to go from a, a, an S Corp to an LLC to be able to, to have other employees. Like I, I do know that I need support in how to do that. So fortunately, there's just tons of resources, whether it's Udemy or even YouTube, right? Of like folks showing you how it's done and then you kind of really do the legwork in, in the county register's office or you do the legwork and talking to other entrepreneurs and you decide for yourself okay this this piece of the business i i i can do but i'm going to not do it well so who could i bring that as an expert who could i bring that's not necessarily better but maybe quicker than i am and then uh, how do we partner right so i i i've learned recently past five six years that I don't have to be the one wearing six hats. I could just bring other folks on yeah. and be transparent and say, hey, this is what I'm trying to do. You're good at this. We're good at that. Let's be partner. And, and we'll be transparent of, of how we divide the goods and, and how we divide the load. And, and it's worked thus far. You know, we haven't had a, a roadblock where internal fighting or internal kind of decision making has happened. And I think we just, we took our time to identify great people and great experts in their own section. And some folks want to grow as well, right? They, they, they say, hey, I'll partner with you, but I really want to know how you ended up doing this piece of this project. And I say, yeah, let's, let's do it. I'll, I'll show you next time or let's walk through how I how I would do it differently, right? I think mm-hmm. being a mentor or a coach for folks is, is really valuable. And it doesn't always have to mean that, that you're the at the top of that mountain. It just means that you've gone through it and like, hey, just, this is, watch out with this crack over here. Watch out with this pitfall, right? Like, like you're... You've been there and it's kind of war proven or, or, or test proven, yeah? Absolutely. Totally agree with you on that. <laughs> and, you know, I think about the time that I've spent, you know, on my entrepreneur path, there is always something, but I'm always open to learn from people, no matter how long they've been in business, no matter what kind of business they're in. I think that the insight that a lot of people provide is invaluable. And I just think that we can learn from folks because uh, they're 10 and 15 year old entrepreneurs, you know, so how do you do it? <laughs> you know, somebody's yeah. helping you, of course, but what then does that look like? But I do absolutely agree that having help, being able to tap into other people's talents, definitely one way to continue to evolve what you're doing, and but also to help other people live their dreams too. So it's just really exciting to see. The other thing, Dr. Hassan, is that that kind of that model was helping or working really well pre-pandemic. You know, mm. pre year and change ago, because I could go down, or I could have a phone call with so and so, I could you know visit with somebody or or see them observe them pandemic just kind of flipped everything on its back oh, and, and yeah what i and kind of our team decided saying you know the rule book is out you know the way people have done things for many years mm-hmm. not that it's it's obsolete but for sure we can't be doing that way anymore right for example if we do a, a community needs assessment right we would provide the community we would have stuff in churches or we'd be doing surveying walking etc you couldn't do stuff like that anymore. So with that sort of pressure became like, how do you innovate so that you don't get left out? Right. Mm-hmm. So past year or so, we've been hoping and, and trying to help small and mid-sized nonprofits really view that not that their, their business strategies or the way they do things is outdated. It's just, it's just not going to work for the time being, right? Because of quarantine, because of safety, because of everything. So we try to work with them on how do they try things that are a bit more innovative or try things that are a bit more tech savvy or that. And, and we try to coach them that way. And again, I, I felt obviously just like the rest of the world, really 
struck and I'm like, oh man, how are we going to do this before the, or after the pandemic? But now we're, we're getting to the flow of things and you Zoom call and you, you, you just kind of get into the rhythm. Whereas a year ago, it just felt like we were really, really, really struggling. And then not just us, right? But even the nonprofits we were trying to support, they were just, how do we do the day-to-day work? Right? Mm-hmm. How, do, how do we do it without actually seeing somebody or going in the office or et cetera, right? So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's been a really interesting year, obviously pandemic and a lot of other things occurring, but as far as the entrepreneur side, you've had to have innovated or else you're going to be left behind. Yeah, know? for sure. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> you know, I talked several, several times I've talked about, you know, this the pivot and the rebrand or the figuring it out, but the need as an entrepreneur to be flexible because life throws you curveballs and then business will throw you curveballs. But either way, you just got to be ready. And the one thing I will say is those who are unwilling to change are typically the ones that don't make it. Because what may have worked even for me, you know, three or four years ago is not what's going to work in five years. And I accept that and I embrace it. But I think that's also the thrill of entrepreneurship, keeping up, figuring out what works. You just, you know, the excitement of learning and growing and being able to help people along the way. So loving all that. So we have reached that point to where I just want to know from you. And like, I, I, I just, my favorite question, I think, I think the one that tell me who you are the last one, like the first and the last, not, not because it's beginning and ending, but it's just that space for you to just really think about. It's like you said earlier, who are you in this moment and, and what's important, right? So if you have any piece of advice to leave us with a word of wisdom, a quote, something that somebody told you, that we would hold with us for the rest of our lives, what would that be? I think for sure it's occurring more now than than ever is is as I move up some ranks, whether it's career-wise and personal or spiritual, et cetera, I I make it a real big point to be open and transparent with others. And I'm not using the word behind like like they're stuck behind, but, but people who haven't gone through the steps I have yet to be able to pull them back up because it's such a, sort of a gift to be able to, to to lead the way, right? It feels lonely when you're leading, but also it feels awesome as you're pulling people up with you. And and if we could do that for everything, right? Whether it's a family situation, whether it's something in your community, whether it's something with education, like like in a job, right? If you could pull somebody back up with you and get them up to par, some people get feel like they're threatened when they see them surpass, right? Like, I'm all about it, right? Like, I think I'm not the end-all, be-all in, in, in everything. So there should be people who, who do better and bigger things than I do. And, and and if I was at any point a part of that, I just feel really grateful and really honored. So so please, as, as we all move forward, depends. Uh, sorry, let's not forget on, on how to pull people back up with us. Mm, absolutely 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 nothing nothing like that helping others along the way Mm. well thank you so very much dr ortiz for being here with us for just you know your wisdom for your story for the life that you live for the barriers you've overcome for being the example for others to be able to look at and say you know i can do it too for those of you who would like to connect you already know what's up go to the show notes and go to the bottom and go click the links to be able to connect, to learn more, to make a new friend, to even hire, <laughs> do all of that. Yeah. But again, uh, we thank you for being here, Dr. Ortiz, and we wish you well on the journey. And just know that we here at the First Gen Lounge, we've got your back. Thank you, Dr. Hudson. Keep doing the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>